you're one of the nearly half of Australians who reach for a supplement daily, I want to know what drove that decision. Did your doctor recommend it or was it a personal choice about a particular health problem? Claire Collins is Laureate Professor in Nutrition and Dietetics at the University of Newcastle and Dr Ian Musgrave is a molecular pharmacologist at the University of Adelaide studying complementary medicine use in Australia post-COVID. Claire, Ian, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you. Welcome. Claire, how many Australians take dietary supplements? Do we know? It depends on the survey, but the last two have indicated around 30% and in general more women than men. So there's definitely something going on there with women perhaps more interested in their health in general. And I understand quite a few children take supplements daily as well. Well, it's that the parents give them the supplements. And I think what drives the patterns is people may be feeling like they're shortchanging their nutrition and so see it as a security blanket or an insurance policy. And it's pretty hard to know if you need one. So it seems like a one-step easy, easy thing. That's what I think drives people to taking them. Well, yeah, who who does actually need a supplement and, and what kinds? Can we pin down a few things that, that are, you know, very legitimate uses? Yeah, there definitely are. And as you age, if you don't have uh, very good bone health, you may be recommended to take vitamin D and calcium, for example. Women in pregnancy, it is a national recommendation to take folic acid, iodine and iron supplements and then certain medical conditions where you have malabsorption and that can be there's a range of those not common but they exist so anything from bowel conditions where you malabsorb food cystic fibrosis uh, celiac disease um, people who are another separate group people undergoing rapid weight loss for a range of reasons either for surgery so there definitely are groups of people who need them but it's not this large percent of the population. And so does that suggest, Claire, that those things would only ever really be driven by a doctor's advice? You wouldn't just say, I think I probably need this. Um, it's That's likely where somebody would recommend it. I mean, if you're one of the 1% to 2% of people in Australia who get referred to a dietitian under the Medicare plans, you may also be recommended this after undergoing a nutritional assessment or on discharge from hospital, for example, where you've had a medical condition. One of the challenges is sifting through, you know, the vast categories of evidence. So I've written about some of the very specific topics for the online newspaper, The Conversation. And even when there is evidence, it's often still grey, so still uncertain. So I'll give you one example. And one example of that is macular degeneration, you know, where there's some evidence, it's not good quality, but things like vitamin C, vitamin E, zinc, may slow the progression of age-related macular degeneration in people who already have it, but not in people who don't have it. It doesn't have a preventive effect. So that can be very confusing to weigh up whether or not there potentially is some benefit for you or not. And again, I think that's what then drives people's decision, all right, okay, I'm, I'm going to take it for a while and, and uh, so long as it doesn't do any harm. But I think the problem is for the types of conditions where it may do some harm, but you won't know that until you've been harmed. That's 
the real challenge in knowing that. Well, and we'll get into a bit more detail about some of the risks of particular supplements. But just quickly, Claire, you, you mentioned before that idea that people take supplements as a kind of insurance policy against, you know, the times when our diets are a bit lacking and everyone's had those times in their lives. Uh, is it is that a, a good idea? Does that work? Do we know? Well, it's that is a case of where it's probably not doing harm if you're sticking to a general multivitamin and mineral. Most of the evidence for when there's been harm is when people isolate down to one supplement and it's more likely to be a supplement taken for a long period of time that's absorbable in fat. So vitamins um, A, D, E and K, they dissolve in fat. So that means if you take too much of them, your body will just store it in your fat stores. Whereas if you take vitamin C and the B vitamins that dissolve in water, you'll just solubilize them and dissolve them and they'll appear in your urine. So you'll weed them out essentially. So yeah, so that that's the part of the challenge. We're speaking with Claire Collins, who's Laureate Professor in Nutrition and Dietetics at the University of Newcastle. Lots of texts coming in, lots of people telling us about the particular supplements they take for particular conditions. One says, my nails have never been longer and stronger since I started taking a multivitamin. Another, I take a supplement for migraine, advised by a neurologist, and it's been very effective as far as I can tell, along with lifestyle modifications of of course. And I guess that's one issue, isn't it? It's hard to tell what's down to the multivitamin and what's down to the lifestyle changes. And Boris... Yeah, that's definite. Yeah, yeah. Boris in Hobart says, after years in my 20s and 40s, I took a host of vitamins. Now at 55, not having taken a multivitamin, I feel fitter and mentally healthier. It was changing the way I think and live that helped the most. Again, I guess, uh, uh, as we mentioned, Claire, science would operate in a different way, wouldn't it, rather than I I think this is working. Um, Yeah. We're also speaking today with Dr. Ian Musgrave, who's a molecular pharmacologist at the University of Adelaide, and he studies complementary medicine use in Australia, particularly post-COVID. Ian, we talked before about the fact that uh, multivitamin dietary supplement use skews more towards women. Other than that, is there a particular demographic profile or socioeconomic factors or belief systems that that are influential? Uh, well, there's multiple. Um, as uh, we've already said, that uh, women are more likely to be taking supp- uh, supplements, um, possibly because they're more open to uh, the concept uh, concepts around the supplements, uh, because there's more than just vitamins in many of these things. There's a lot of, lot of uh, herbal additives as well. Um, and as uh, Claire said, the women are more careful about their health. Um, but there's differences in age, for example, uh, uh, young, young, healthy women are more likely to be taking uh, vitamins and minerals for general health. Uh, older people are more likely to be taking uh, supplements for specific diseases like, or, or specific ailments like uh, taking uh, chondroitin and glucosamine for uh, muscular uh, uh, aches and pains. Um, if people who are uh, um, depressed will be more likely to be taking certain uh, herbal medicines. Um, so it, 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 there's a wide variety of different groups of people who use supplements for uh, a variety of different reasons. Mm. Weight loss supplements are, are an important one. People who wish to weight, use weight will uh, take weight loss supplements. Um uh, people who are heavily into athletics uh, uh, will take um, 
sports um, um, focused dietary supplements. So uh, there is a huge range of different people using different supplements for different purposes. Well, yeah. Do we know much about the motivations? I mean, we've broken it down into the demographics. Do we know what's driving people, Ian? Um, at a base level, most people, uh, in terms of the vitamin supplements, most people are of the opinion that um, vitamins are good for you. So having more vitamins uh, can't possibly be bad, or as Claire has uh, 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 pointed out, uh, yes, they can be, uh, especially the the fat-soluble vitamins. Um, There's also a a wide uh, amount of advertising. If you look at the TV, you'll see a range of supplements being uh, advertised. If you're feeling down, uh, feeling uh, stressed, feeling like you've got a lack of energy, there's all these supplements that you can take. And so there's a a lot of advertising around that. Um, And there's also... uh, uh, a lot of the supp- a lot of the supplements that include herbal products are seen as natural, and natural things must be good for you. So this this whole um, uh, vision around what it means to be healthy and how a, a inverted commas natural supplement will help you achieve health if you're uh, feeling uh, run down, um, you may ne- you uh, it's it's not a big step to think. Um, maybe this natural supplement that I've seen advertised on TV that says it will uh, uh, help me feel better will indeed help you feel better. Well, I guess the question that rises for me, Ian, is does it matter then if people want to spend their money on, on these supplements? Um, to a point, to, uh, to from my point of view, what people are doing, uh, uh, and uh, I think Claire has also pointed out, is they're spending their money on things that for most people will make no difference and just give them expensive urine. Um, and when they're doing that, they're, they could be using their money for other things. So if uh, one of the, one of the uh, issues is that uh, here in Australia, we don't eat enough fresh fruit and vegetables. The supplements are, are not cheap and you could be spending that money on buying more fresh fruit and vegetables. Of, of course, this comes into the things about uh, nutritional deserts and, uh, and people's ability to actually uh, get and uh, – and, uh, Cook these uh, foods if you're in a if you're in an impoverished situation and you don't have access to a lot of uh, cooking implements. For example, the uh, the exhortation to go and get some fresh fruit and vegetables and just cook them up uh, will sound rather hollow. But uh, again, it's the point that the that people are being misled uh, into doing things that won't actually help them. We're speaking about vitamin supplements today and welcoming your thoughts via text about what's the motivation for you if you take a supplement. And there are many. Uh, Iron and vitamin B12, says one, it's harder to get from food if you're not smart about it. B12, I believe, is only in a very small number of things and usually has to be fortified unless you want to eat dirt. Ha ha. (laughs) Claire, can I run that past you, Uh, you know, on, on that issue of, you know, what we can and can't get from our diets or do and don't get from our diets, I guess? Yeah, well, it really depends on what type of dietary restrictions you've got. So B12 is widely available in the food supply so long as you're not a vegan. 
So the uh, vitamin B12 comes in meat, milk, dairy products. And even for vegan, you can get it in some algae or it's true, some of the plants contaminated with um, soil, like things like mushrooms. But it's often added to some of the nut milks, for example. But if you're not a vegan, you can get B12. But it's an unusual vitamin because you need stomach acid in order to be able to absorb it. And as you get older, you produce less stomach acid. And if you're on medication to reduce stomach acid as you age, you may in fact end up with a B12 deficiency. And then that's called pernicious anemia. So that's why the other sort of clue in all of this is having your regular age-based health checks to make sure you're screened for the things that your doctor would know to check on based on your own medical history. And Claire, what are the risks of taking a supplement you don't need? Well, I think it's it's the risk to your bank balance. That's definitely one thing. But the answer, again, is that that depends. There's one group of people who I think may be driven to trying supplements at least is that group of people who live with chronic pain. I know I had a look at all the supplements that are used for arthritis, for example, and I, honestly, I took my hat off to the European Association for Rheumatology who reviewed all the evidence ever, which included just absolutely hundreds of studies for 80 different compounds. But they really came up with some very sort of synthesized advice for people based on, you know, the 100 different types of arthritis out there. So basically, as Ian was saying earlier, there is some evidence if you've got osteoarthritis, that's the wear and tear arthritis that typically affects knees, for vitamin D, chondritin and glucosamine. But the problem was, as Ian's already alluded to, the studies are moderate quality, they have limitations and the, it's recommended to interpret the findings with caution. I mean, this is the typical way one of these reviews reads, but that's not helpful to you if you've got osteoarthritis. So my take on their evidence synthesis was, if you've got osteoarthritis, try go and get a bottle of vitamin D, chondritin and glucosamine, take them until the course is run, and then has your pain improved? Has your pain, your morning stiffness and your mobility improved? And if it hasn't, well, then there's there's your answer. And you haven't spent too much money and you, ha- and you haven't, you know, put yourself at any of the risk. And it was a very, very similar conclusion for rheumatoid arthritis and the omega-3 fish oil supplements. So again, my advice for people with a rheumatoid arthritis, the only other one that had some evidence of effectiveness was give it a go but if it's not working, don't keep don't keep taking it and spend your money on the healthy eating habits, which that review also said was of benefit for all the other conditions apart from arthritis and chronic pain. So, yeah, it sounds like a simple question to answer, but it's curiouser and curiouser the more you look at it. Well, Ian, there's also a really interesting feature of how vitamins and dietary supplements are regulated in this country, isn't there? They they look for uh, quality and safety, quality of manufacture and safety, but they don't test for efficacy as they do with other higher risk medicines. Why is that? Oh, that is correct. In part, it's because many of these things have been with us uh, for before we had um, things like the Therapeutic Goods Administration. And so we have a, a long history of using many of these things. Um, also because of community pressure that um, 
people who see have been using herbal medicines see these as being um, as 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 part of a healthy tradition, um, and they want to be uh, to keep them. So the because they're perceived as being low risk, the TGA has uh, a two. Um, a two-speed, so to speak, regulation. So if you if you have a, something that is making a um, actual medical claim, it has to prove it. It has to uh, come up with um, uh, clinical trials. It has to come up with toxicity information, uh, and it also has to uh, have a, a certificate of good manufacturing practice to make sure that what what comes out in your pill is what is supposed to be there. In contrast, with the um, with the um, uh, low risk complementary medicines, um, you. Uh, have to to you have to say that uh, these medicines have been used traditionally for a long period of time, uh, and that there's been no harm associated with that traditional use. You have to say to the TGA that you hold this information showing that it will do what they claim it will do and it, it's information about safety and it also has to go through good manufacturing practice. The TGA is very, very serious about good manufacturing practice. Mm. So um, this is a problem with getting materials from overseas is that they don't have the same quality control as Australia does. So if you're getting a, 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 a herbal medicine um, a, a supplement in Australia, uh, what it says on the bottle is what you're getting um, and it also has warning labels so if I can come back to what Claire was talking about about the uh, about her uh, very good review of glucosamine and chondroitin uh, one a group that should not be taking glucosamine and chondroitin is people with seafood or shellfish allergies and if you look on the bottle it will have a big warning saying do not take if you've got shellfish uh, allergies and this is true of a number and some other um uh, uh, herbal medicines where they have uh, plants from the daisy family as part of their makeup and if you're allergic to plants of the daisy family you shouldn't be taking it so they're, they're, they're little hidden things that you may not necessarily be aware of except for the giant label on the on the medicine saying don't take if you have these allergies yeah thank heavens for the giant label just as we finish up claire uh, why are people feeling like it might be easier in the context of their lives to pop a multivitamin every day than to sit down and go, let's look at the whole foods that I would like to include in my diet and get my uh, nutrients from them? I think one of the things, because it's very hard to do that. So with my research team, we created a website, in fact, to address that. It's called No Money, No Time. So you can get a one-stop site where you'll get recipes that are easy and cheap to make but also that will bust some of this evidence down into plain language and tell you what to put in your shopping trolley and allow you to evaluate whether or not you do eat healthy. I think that is one of the biggest challenges because, you know, uh, otherwise it's quite boring. You know, do you eat from the five food groups? Um, have you gone to someone to enter your diet into a computer program and calculate all the calcium and, and, and vitamins. That's very time consuming to do. Faced with, I'll just pop a bottle of vitamins in, in the shopping trolley. I think that's the challenge is uh, it's hard for people to access good quality information, but come and have a 
Google it, no money, no time, and uh, see if we can help you out on finding the information you need to eat healthy and keep your family healthy and save some money. Yeah, I'm looking askance at my cheese toasty plans for lunch, <laughs> quick lunch between <laughs> work breaks today and thinking things might need to change. Look, it's been really interesting to to look at this landscape with you both today, it's something that's very, very popular amongst Australians and see how it could be different. Thank you both so much for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having us on. Great pleasure. Claire Collins is Laureate Professor in Nutrition and Dietetics at the University of Newcastle. Dr Ian Musgrave is a molecular pharmacologist at the University of Adelaide, looking at complementary medicine use in Australia. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.